Set down your sleepy water and your Mr. Whistle. Take off that raincoat and grab a cold beer. It's time to have a real talk about pediatric dentistry. You're listening to Bruise and Tiny Teeth, the unfiltered pediatric dentistry podcast. Hey, Bruise and Tiny Teeth family. It's your boy, Casey Getz, checking in. Got a pretty cool episode this week. Um, Kind of a lot of work to put together, but these were all the speed interviews uh, from interviews that I did out at AAPD in San Diego. was a great time. Uh, By the time you're listening to this, AAPD probably would have been about three three weeks prior, Um, but really got to do some cool networking. Had a ton of uh, listeners and people come up to me and say hi. Um, You know, might have been in a various state of, of, you know, couple beers deep by that point, but uh, I, I met a lot of really cool people and it made me feel great that people are out there listening to the podcast and appreciate some of the things that we're putting out. So I just want to say thank you to everybody for, um, you know, saying hi out there and having a great time. Uh, this episode, I did six different speed interviews out at the, at the convention center. Um, the first two are residents and the, the four after that are private pack, uh, excuse me, private practice, pediatric dentists. Um, really cool, just little five to 10 minute power interviews with everybody. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy it. The sound was a little bit tricky, just as you guys know, at these conferences, you can't, it's impossible to find a, a quiet spot. You know, you try to pull people to the side when you can, but they're just very loud. So I have a little pocket mic that I was using and worked pretty well, but um, apologize if the sound isn't quite up to the standards that I've been trying to get it to. Uh, but I think, I think there's a lot of good information and I, I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, the next, um, I've got a couple, couple interesting speakers and some ideas for some podcast episodes coming down the line on, um, maybe some taxes, insurances, uh, possibly some new technology stuff coming out, some coaching episodes. Uh, so some of the things that I, I was told that you guys like hearing more of out at AAPD. So, uh, with that being said, hope you guys enjoy these, uh, six power interviews and, uh, enjoy the show. Thanks guys. All right. We're kicking it off my first guest on the uh, power interviews here, but start us off, uh, start us off, tell us who you are and where you're from. Okay. Uh, my name is Adam Wornetsky. I am originally from uh, North Dakota. I did dental school at Iowa and currently I'm a second year resident at the University of Nebraska Medical Center in nice. Omaha. And you're finishing up like, what'd you say, about a month and you're in the room? Yeah, in a month. Our graduation's literally like 30 days from now, so nice. it's coming to a close. It went by fast. Yeah, and you got a... Um, well, this kind of leads me to the second question, but you got a job lined up and everything looks good on for starting next, like what next, are you going to start like, are you taking any break or are you just jumping into working? Uh, taking work a little right? time off, only like three weeks, so starting in July, I think the third week in July back in Bismarck, we're, we're moving back there, so we're nice. excited. Um, and you've uh, like, know the practice, you guys have everything dialed in, they're scheduling patients, like it's all ready to go? Yeah, I've done a ton of meetings with them and our uh, office manager, uh, Eden, she's been great. She's got everything lined up really, been sending me paperwork, I've been filling it out, working on getting my hospital privileges. And yeah, they're they're ready for me to get there and I wish I could get there sooner, but they're, yeah. I think they're ready. They're, they have a lot of patients that need to be seen, so. Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting. We'll have to do this again like next year once you kind of get going. Like I was surprised, um, after I started, and I know a lot of my co-residents were as well, but it seems like it's really common where you get really excited, you get out, you want to start working, but like you expect to be like in that 30, 40 plus patients a day, but 
I, I don't know. I, I feel like nobody was quite as busy as they wanted to be the first little bit, and it's kind of like that slow rolling thing to get going. So hopefully you're like nice and busy right off the bat. But they, they have an established practice, and it's primed and ready to go. They had a different uh, associate that had left. Uh, kind of unexpectedly, you know, towards the end of 2021, mm -hmm. and they knew about me and uh, met with them, and they figured I was a good fit and wanted to wait for me to get done with residency. So they've kind of just been getting by cool. with uh, without another associate. So yeah, they're they're ready for me to get there, and yeah. I'm ready to get there for sure. Yeah, you should be busy then. So um, yeah, my second question was kind of tell me about your professional experience, but I suppose since you're kind of in that residency range. You know, you're kind of coming out of training, so you're going to get some new things there. But um, so how about this? Tell me uh, like three technology things or techniques that you've picked up like in residency, like three things that you can't practice without that at this new office. You're like, hey, I got to have these things to do dentistry the way I want to do it. Sure. Um, well, I guess I could start with a very basic one, and that's not anything that comes from a practice is I, I'm addicted to using my loops, and I know a lot of pediatric dentists don't. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, everyone else in my grade or my class of residency, they, they don't use loops to do any operative procedures. So I got mine, and actually I'm hoping to swing by uh, some vendors tomorrow and check some. Check them out. Check them out. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm just, uh, I love ISOVAC. You're not, dude, I'm an Isolife fan too. I, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And uh, definitely had shopped around and talked to some different practices on this journey of fi finding a landing spot. And, you know, a lot of general dentists, or, or not general dentists, but other PF dentists didn't train with it. They were still just used to ru using rubber dams, is what they were trained on, and never really made the switch. And then it was one of those things where, like, hey, if I come in, can you buy me Isolite, ISOVAC? Mm -hmm. Would that be cool? But uh, it's not a problem with this practice. That's like kind of how they roll. And nice. so. I'm really excited about that. Uh, one thing too, uh, this is more of a material thing, so I guess it would be the third thing sure. is uh, uh, just like because the MTA, I feel like it's come a long way now they get the Neo MTA, the putty, yeah, uh, which absolutely. is what we use in, we've been using in residency, it's really easy to work with and just kind of the properties with, you know, pulp regeneration and all yeah. that stuff. What are you using for your, are you um, doing any other medic, uh, medicament in there besides like MTA, are you guys doing like bleach beforehand or form creosol or anything like that? I think we've kind of been using uh, bleach before putting the MTA down. Yeah, um, super good combo, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, but they don't really, hadn't really had that at the practice. So that was one thing I would request and they said, yeah, no problem, like you can definitely use that. And I just think like the research is really promising and I think price is coming down. Absolutely. And, uh, I think the they market the Neoputty as not, you know, being staining, that was part of like Big the one, trouble yeah. with like, if you were doing like a speck pulpotomy on an anterior tooth, yeah. you know. And, and it's so much easier than having to mix and pack and, you know, 50 bucks a pop, like the, the price point to your point is like so much more like logistically, like cost efficient now to use, so for sure. Okay, so those are three good ones there. And then uh, the other question I was gonna ask was like, is there a technique that you picked up in residency um, that you like didn't learn before that you look forward to doing a lot more of like a pearl or a technique or something maybe not so much material but like you know this question I guess was you know for some of the dentists that have been out for a while was gonna be like what's a big pearl or you know a pearl or tip or something cool like a technique you picked up um, in pediatric dentistry that's like worked really really well for you but it's kind of tricky since you're kind of a resident so I'm just curious like are there any techniques like icon types of extractions, ortho type stuff, any particular technique that you did that was kind of different with your training that you're kind of looking forward to like implementing in the private practice world? Um, like I said, I mean, that's like all, uh, I, I'm still learning, you know, in residency. Mm -hmm. And obviously I, we all are throughout our careers, you know, trying to always like have that thirst for new knowledge and finding a better way to do stuff. But um, I think I'm just, uh, yeah, looking forward to maybe 
when I was doing my board studying, my QE studying, mm -hmm. um, just like looking into stuff about pulp regeneration, like I kind of touched on with the with the MTA, you know, pulp revascularization techniques and things mm -hmm. like that. Getting into that endo field a bit. Um, I'm not honestly really trained on it in residency, but it would be something I would certainly be interested in maybe learning a little bit more about and yeah. maybe working with like talking to some endodontists in the area, seeing if they've had any luck. Because I feel like a lot of the kids we see, they have the trauma and then maybe the cooperation behavior isn't always there to sit through the endo techniques and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so if I can provide, you know, the more of those services for my patients, I would you know, really be excited to do that. Man, I hope you do. Like I, uh, I'm, I'm honest about it, but like, I'm very self-aware that my endo skills are like shh, not bad, but like you know, I'm rusty. Like the number of times I've been into like a permanent canal, like pulp chamber on a permanent six-year molar or spec pulpotomy. Yeah, no, but like you know, the last time I've actually had to put a file down a, the canal of like a permanent molar, it's been a while. But it's something that I should stay sharp on. So hopefully, I yeah, keep those keep those skills sharp. So, and then um, any um, any like mistakes that you made in residency, like any cases that come to mind that. Uh, you know, like, like mistake that you made that was like, don't do what I did in this situation. Like you, a case recently that went south or didn't turn out well, you would have done something, something differently. I'm sure there's plenty of those, but it's hard to think of that, like being right when on the I spot. When I put you on the spot, yeah, um, yeah. I, I think that most of the maybe situations that, or cases that didn't go as well as I had hoped were situations where I just hadn't gathered all the information from the parents maybe before I'd begun a procedure. Mm -hmm. or, uh, so I think the biggest thing is just always like being like aware of like gathering all the facts, all the data and like mm -hmm. not like, you know, missing something that's super obvious or maybe like with treatment planning stuff, like uh, if a parent didn't understand fully what you're doing, I just want to always like make sure that you know, someone would not have questions on, you know, what I'm offering or yeah. what I'm recommending. So I think just being like very open and uh, yeah, I can help you out with one too, because I, yeah. you know, and as you're sitting here thinking, I'm like, okay, if I if I was put on the spot, what do I come up with? But uh, I had a kid I took to the OR, um, uh, or like in office GA, like maybe eight months ago, and I did a distal shoe on the kid because um, A was bombed, and I think he was like five at the time, three wasn't in yet, and I don't always do distal shoes. I'm kind of case selective about it, but this kid was like a Frankel two, and a lot of times I don't do a lot of distal shoes, especially if behavior's not great, but I was like, oh, I'll be a hero, like this would be a good one. I put the distal shoe in, and then like a month or two ago, the kid came back and three had erupted, but like the blade had kind of gotten cattywampus in there, and the tooth butt of like four was doing something it wasn't supposed to, and the blade was all messed up. So I had to go in and numb the kid up and like take it off and try to adjust it, and the kid blew a shit on me and like went nuts and everything. So. I don't know, I got bit on a distal shoe recently, so that was kind of one I had, but. Um, yeah. I think there was something too, uh, not necessarily things that have gone wrong for me, but I feel like we don't always put space maintenance in, you know, a whole lot in our residency program, just because uh, when we're on OR cases especially, because mm -hmm. uh, we were concerned about follow-up with right, patients and right. not wanting to put a bunch of hardware in and then these kids are never gonna show back up in our office and have trouble with a tooth eruption and stuff. So definitely want to, uh, you know, start implementing that more in private practice and like exploring like good options and good reasons and like finding the right patients to do that space maintenance with. For sure. Dude, up in North Dakota, you're gonna do a lot of them, I feel like. Like there's a lot of kids with cavities up that way. Like 
you're gonna have a lot of extractions. You're like, I gotta figure out some space maintenance to put in here. So mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. Well, dude, I hope, uh, I tell you what, if you get up to North Dakota, um, I've been starting to do this annual duck hunting trip up there. Like I went up last year to like the Southeast part of the state, but Sweet. like uh, North Dakota's like, there's not a lot going on, but I really like it for some strange reason. So like, I've been going up and doing a lot of hunting up there. Great way. duck hunting. Great, fantastic duck hunting. Yeah, I take my yeah. lab, I load up a truck, me and a few guys go up there and we shot the hell out of ducks last year. So I'll probably be up there this fall at some point in time. So yeah. we'll have to uh, have to meet up at, up there at some point. I'd so. love to. Did my first duck hunt actually this last year. One of my co-residents this year got me really into it. Andrew Wilson, he's from Rapid City, South Dakota. Loves duck hunting. Yeah. And got me into it too. So yeah. It's a good time. It's a good time. Yeah, I had a good for time. sure. Adam, thanks for hopping on. Help me out with this. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate right, it. No problem. All right, man. So tell me who, who you are and where you're from. So I'm Darius Sanford. I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm currently finishing up a residency program in Springfield, Missouri. Springfield, yeah. yeah. Did you have do you have a connection up in Missouri up here before you, uh, or is this just where you matched at or do you have um, connections? It's just where I matched at. I, do, I did have a mentor that was really good friends with a second year that was mm -hmm. at the program. So that kind of helped out. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but I just came in. Uh, interviewed at the site and I really like the clinical aspects of it and, and whatnot. So. Yeah, residency's going okay so far? It's going great. We've gotten a ton of clinical experience because um, we're at a community health center. So, so pretty, would you risk. say it's more heavy on like the clinical side of things versus the didactic Absolutely. stuff? Absolutely. Yeah, 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 a thousand percent. So my second question was going to be like, what was, what's been your professional career? But since I, I'm running into a lot of residents, so tell me like, tell me about what your path looks like after residency here. Yeah, yeah. So I'm actually going back to Atlanta um, and joining two private practices. Um, I'll be doing part-time uh, uh, at each office, so um, that's where all my family's at, and uh, that's where I'm from, so I'm excited to kind of get closer to home. Is this going to be like, uh, is it like suburban type Atlanta, or what part, yeah. like what's going to be like your patient profile and all that? Yep, yep, so uh, one of the practices is in kind of the downtown area, um, and then another one is a little further out in the suburban area. But you're going to so. be like full-time between the two, like plenty of days I'll working? Be, yeah, I'll be two days at each office. Nice, man. Yep, yep. Do you, are you a, uh, like potential future practice owner you think long term or what's you know, the plan man I that's that's always been my dream but um i just kind of wanted to kind of see how this first year goes and try it see, out yeah and see how i feel um but it's always been my dream to own my own practice yeah so, but i don't know for sure that i want to you know deal with the, the hr side of it and all that so. yeah you got plenty of time and i mean most people i feel like i've talked to that first year is nice just to get your feet wet and then learn as much as you can so even yep. if you wanted to like i want to start my own practice yep. i feel like it's still smart to get that first year under your yep. belt anyways right yep. so absolutely um so tell me like three like pieces of technology or like um, um techniques that you learned in residency that you're like i have to have this when i go into the working world like hey yep. mr boss man like if i'm gonna work here i need to have this this and this like what are your three yep. go-to like things well the first thing that comes to mind is, is the isolate hell um, yeah isolate i have not touched a, a rubber dam since since dental school i was so. the same yeah yep. okay <laughs> um but that's helped a lot um think of really anything else that because we don't have a lot of fancy stuff at the, at the health material wise is there like a composite type or any sort of like type of like material glass yeah. on or anything you use a yeah. lot of so we use a lot of the um goodness what is it called Equia Forte. You guys do yes. a lot of Equia? Yeah. Dude, do what do you that. think about Equia? I love it. It's love so it. Now, cool. I haven't gotten to see a lot of my cases come back yet Follow just up. because you know that's how residency is yeah but, um I haven't had any complaints or seen anything come back yet. So we, I use that a lot for my strip crowns and stuff Dude, like that. Dude, for sure. Do you yeah. guys do some zirconia? Uh, not much. Um, we, we do some of them in the anterior, but we don't do any posterior. Sure. Yet, okay. But, um, yeah, it might be something you get that. a little bit. That was yeah. like, I didn't do a lot of posterior in residency, but that's yeah. something like, especially with some of these new like 
flexible white crowns coming out. I'm yes. trying to like push myself to get more comfortable doing yes, that. Yes, you know? I definitely want to check those out. Do, do you know if those are here? They're supposed to be here, but I haven't gotten to New Smile okay. yet, but uh, I want to get my hands on some and check them yeah. out. I actually yeah. see you, Mike, over there. There's some New Smile guys I know that I, I want to go get my hands on some and yeah. try them out. Yeah, I might walk over there with you. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so then um, um, how about like, this is kind of a hard one, but any like failures or like things that didn't go well that come to mind for like cases in residency recently like I was trying to ask Dennis like did you have something that went wrong or a failure mm -hmm. like something like a mistake that you've learned from yeah um, any any recent cases that like something you did went south and you can remember off the top of your head not, not necessarily clinically but just kind of like the patient management side like uh, working with parents and mm -hmm. uh, just presenting myself in a way where I'm always putting the patient like first and making yeah. sure that they they know that they're right and whatnot um, it's been the main thing just you know yeah, I feel like that's never going to go away, too. It's like yeah. you get a little better with that verbal judo, you know, but mm -hmm. it's like everybody listening knows this, but it's like the parents that make our job hard. You exactly. Know? Yeah. Yep. So making sure. sure that they're happy. Yeah. Um, but the patient side of it has been fun. Like, I love working with kids. For and, sure, yeah. Um, that part I enjoy, so. Honestly, like, I, I mean, that at the same time, like, with the parents, it's like, you know, sometimes you forget that, like, a lot of them have crappy experiences, like in medicine, you know, where they're, yep. they're used to, like, doctors being kind of assholes coming in, not being personal. Like yep. if you literally just come in, shake their hand and look yep. them in the eye and sit yep. at their level, yep. like you've already earned so many brownie points that like you've already kind of won the game. Absolutely. So like you'll be fine. I feel yeah. like, yeah, 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 yeah be yeah. good. Yeah. Um, I guess any, um, any like parting words of like wisdom to future residents listening? I feel like I know I keep getting residents here, but uh, <laughs> like any um, tips for like residents coming in for like um, things to make residency go smoother that you've learned over the last two years? Um, I would just say, you know, staying on top of things, uh, making sure you're going to a site that you, you can really see yourself, you know, excelling at. Um, I knew I wanted to go to a site that was heavily clinical. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to feel like I was going to another year, two years of dental school. So, mm -hmm. um, it's worked out well for me here and, yeah. I, and I love it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Darius, pleasure. Thanks for coming and saying hi Absolutely. real quick, man. Yeah. Yep. Good luck with everything next year. All right? I appreciate it. Yep. All right. So tell me who you are and where you're from. My name is Henry Martinez. I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. Grew up in the East Valley and I have a practice, a startup practice. It's called Big Apple Pediatric Dentistry, located in the Ahwatukee foothills of, of Arizona. You're in like Howard Ferran territory, right? It literally is Howard Ferran territory. That's super right cool. Right there, yeah. So what was your practice name again? Big Apple Pediatric Dentistry. How'd you come up? I like the branding. Like, I like that it's like, you know, kind of me, like I'm I think it's smart to have like something that's more concrete than a name or like a street. So tell me about how you come up with that. Well, I did my residency and I got a master's degree in New Jersey and New York City. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I wanted to incorporate a lot of the cool features from there. And realistically, I wanted to do something that was totally different, not going to go with all the, the different typical themes in a pedo office. I wanted to do something that was authentic and unique to myself. Nice, man. Yeah. So, um, so tell me about like the process between like residency and then you opening your own practice you associate for a while like when did you finish residency then walk me through since then so i finished residency went, went to bronx lebanon hospital finished it in 2015 came out to arizona been in practice there for about seven years been at the same practice as an associate and just a few months a few months ago basically just started up my own office so nice, nice. built out everything it's uh, about 3200 square foot we got about four uh chairs in the open bay we got five uh, treatment rooms, 
We got a sedation room and we also have an infant room. Dude, that's fantastic. Yeah. I love the space. Like clearly you're planning ahead 3,200 square yep. feet. You can do a lot of damage in that amount of space. Absolutely. So um, was there a reason, you know, at the associate office? Was it just a big office? Wasn't a good fit? Wanted your own autonomy? What were the reasons for kind of making your transition? My own autonomy and just wanting to do things on my own and wanted to create my own, I guess, brand and, and wanted to branch out and just saw the need in that area and just saw the, that there was a, uh, it was a time and a place for me. Nice, man. Okay, so um, I've been kind of asking my follow-up question. It's like three pieces of technology you can practice without. So I'll ask it to you and like, like what are three things that you're putting in this practice that you're going to use a lot of like technology pieces, procedures, um, like things that you've invested in that are going to be a big part of your practice? Yeah, so I do all aspects of pediatric dentistry. I basically, I still maintain hospital privileges at Phoenix Children's Hospital. Uh, I've been on staff there for about seven years. I'm on staff at an additional hospital. So nice. I do special needs, obviously all aspects of pediatric dentistry, oral sedation. Mm -hmm. I got a bigger room for an IV sedation room. Uh, do basically do zirconia crown, stainless steel. Some ortho, like yep. interceptive stuff. Little, little, little interceptive, bit. nothing too much. I'll definitely at one point, uh, I've, I've been meeting with a bunch of different orthodontists sure. in the area. Yeah. One point probably bring in an orthodontist as well too, but just do all facets of pediatric dentistry uh, from trauma to uh, basically doing hospital dentistry and everything in between. Nice, man. So um, I guess, is there um, any like tips for startups, I guess, like anything, I've been trying to ask like what's uh, something that's gone wrong or like a mistake you've made, but let's keep it to the startup theme since this is so fresh for you. Like any mistakes you've made thus far since you just opened up as far as the startup process that didn't go well that you would have done differently? Yeah, I'd say probably just, you know, making sure timing wise, we opened up right at the height of when kids are getting out of school and when testing's going on. So, you know, we didn't see a huge influx of patients from the start. Now that kids are really out of school within the past couple of weeks, we're starting to see a little bit more trickle in mm -hmm. and a little bit more appointment requests. So I think a lot of it too is just, is learning as much as you can. I've listened to your podcast every episode since you started. I appreciate that, man. And uh, and all the other podcasts that I could, um, from uh, from Mark Costas to uh, the startup, a uh, bunch of startup podcasts. Sure. And just trying to gain as much information as I can. But I think um, just just going back to marketing heavily, getting yourself out there, uh, and just trying to invest in having a good team from the start. That helps out a lot. Absolutely. And honestly, like. I mean, you kind of are familiar with it, but it feels like that first month or two, like prior to leading up to the opening day and the month after, you're still buying so much stuff that it's stressful because it feels like you're spending all this money. Yep. But to your point, like it might be a blessing in disguise this first couple weeks, like my May, end of May kind of fell apart. Like right. kids, you know, you have a full schedule and then yep. they've got end of school activities and falls apart. But it might be kind of nice for you because it gives you a little bit of time to like build some systems. Because like given another week, I feel like you guys are going to get slammed with, you know, kids being out of school for the summer. Yeah, so, yeah. And that's what we're doing basically with this downtime is we are doing a lot of our training, getting our CPR, getting all of our systems organized and basically seeing patients when we can in between. But this is actually a good month. In hindsight, you know, when you look at it, this is a good month for us to get everything aligned, get all of our systems in place and knock all that before it gets busy because we already are going into uh, to June and, and July and that's obviously our, our busy months right, in Pedo. Right. And we already have our protocol set up for our oral sedation and our IV sedation. So we're ready to rock and roll with it. Sure, so um, tell me like your goals for the practice. This is hard to ask this question when it's so new because you don't know what direction things are going, but um, do you have like five year goals with what you anticipate for like chair numbers, patient numbers, like um, 
uh, like metrics that you'd like to hit or like what kind of short-term goals do you have for the practice? Yeah, so short-term goals are basically we're just trying to, you know, increase our, 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 our patient population, but, you know, uh, long-term and basically get, have good systems down, have good authenticity with a lot of our branding, and then also too just creating that great uh, culture within the office and hiring for people sure. for, for good culture. And then long-term goals, we're in an area in Phoenix that's a little bit, it, like you said, it is Howard Fran territory. He does, he's, his practice is, he's not obviously retired now, right. but it's an area that's a little separated from the Phoenix metropolitan area and we're primed to have growth in that area. Mm -hmm. um, over the next two years, that area is gonna see a, probably about a good 1,500 homes wow. that are gonna be built. So we wanna get in, we wanted to get in early on, and we wanna be able to, to be sustainable there and to make our mark before all those, those families move sure. in. Nice, so you're kind of in a bedroom growing area, yep. like not in the, it's not as competitive as the rest of Phoenix, it sounds like. Right, That's right. a good spot to be, man. Everybody wants to go to like, the Hapnam, Scottsdale type spots, but yeah. you can find the Al Alatuki or whatever, like that's where you want to be. Yeah. Man, you guys are going to crush it. Um, I guess uh, as we wrap up, like any advice to, um, excuse me, like younger dentists that are interested in doing startup or like in the startup process, like any like big pearls that you learned or advice you might give somebody who comes up to you says like, hey, Dr. Henry, I want to do a startup. Like, what do you got for me? Yeah, you know, I definitely think you want to, you want to get your clinical stuff down. That's first and foremost important. Second off too, it's it's working, if you don't have the right information and if you don't have someone to really kind of, uh, to mentor you or to kind of give you good feedback, I would certainly suggest finding a, a company that, that, that specializes in helping you do startup offices. For sure. So I, w I actually did work with a company that helped me out from selecting a location to demographics to basically um, finding uh, my contractor, and everything else that goes along with, with building a dental office from the start, uh, that's what I did. And, and it really, in hindsight, you know, you spend a lot of money on it, but if they can help you out on the little things with the lease negotiations, you're gonna save that money and you're gonna see that return years down the road. So, so don't be afraid to use this uh, consultant or somebody to help you. That's Absolutely. been a common thing. Like, are you uh, comfortable shouting out, like, is this consultant like somebody else? Like, if somebody's listening, it's like, man, maybe I need that help. Yeah. What, well, who's that person? So I use Ideal Practices. Ideal Practice, yeah. yeah. Um, wait, is that, um, that's, uh, what's his name? That's uh, Jamie Amos. Jamie Amos, yeah. yeah. I've had a couple guys use him and my understanding is he's expensive, but people seem to have a pretty good experience. Like he's pretty helpful, it sounds yep, like. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Very good, cool. Well, Henry Manis, appreciate you know appreciate your time, and uh, you need to tell uh, Robbie out there hi. He was on the podcast. He's a cool guy, man. Oh, he's one of my great friends. I see him all the time. Yeah, me and him, you know, it's it, that's how I actually got introduced to your podcast. Oh, nice. Was listening to listening to him, and then obviously to you as well too. But you know, he's I've literally known the guy. Grew up with him. We went to the same high school. We actually went to the same dental school. Yeah. Residency was different, but he's just, he's a great guy. And and, uh, and I was so glad that you had him on the podcast. Yeah, we got to shout out Robbie Matthews. Um, it's Happy Little Happy Campers, yep. Pediatric Dentistry. And he's in like Peoria, Arizona. He's in Peoria, He yeah. was on the podcast and talked about, he had a ton of growth right off the bat. Like, like I couldn't believe his schedule the first two weeks. They had like 30 patients a day. I was like, this is bananas. Yeah. So he, um, but he's like kind of a good old redneck hunter guy like me. So we got along really well. It yeah. was cool. Well, Henry, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you at the welcome. Thank party you, tonight, Casey. Right? Appreciate it. Yep. Keep going.
All right, so tell me who you are and where you're from. Okay, uh, my name's Andrew Williamson from Spring Hill, Tennessee. Spring Hill, Tennessee. Are you a Tennessee? Now, I don't know if I've asked, are you from Tennessee originally? I am, I grew up there, I uh, moved there when I was eight years old. Uh -huh. so. Did you do all your training down that way too? No, I actually did my training at uh, University of Louisville. Louisville. Uh, for dental school, did a GPR there, and then did my pediatric residency in Indiana. So, so the, the bourbon and baby teeth connection makes sense because you just like are implanted in like the heart of bourbon country your Absolutely. whole life. It sounds like, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And 100%. I know like we kind of got connected from. Um, I know that you've been like you've been going to bourbon and baby teeth since it kind of. Uh, I mean, you were early on when it got up and going, right? I was on, I'm one of the inaugural members from the very first uh, yeah. very first conference they had. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, so tell me, uh, tell me more about like your practice and professional journey out of residency. You, you own a practice, you do a startup acquisition. What's that been like? Uh, so when I first started, um, straight out of residency, actually, I did an associateship for roughly about a year, six months into that. I knew it wasn't going to be for me. Right. I knew I needed to do something else. Mm -hmm. And so I was either looking at either buying my own practice or I was looking at building one from scratch. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up uh, building in a retail mall, mm -hmm. uh, about 3,600 square feet. Nice. Um, currently, we, we opened in November of 2012. Oh, okay. So we're coming up so on, you're on 10, 10 years. years, man. That's amazing. Yeah. That's crazy. So it's been a it's been a big journey. Yeah. Um, we grew from. I just had two chairs when I started. Mm -hmm. We're at six now. Yeah. Um, Are you still by yourself, or do you have a, uh, any help yet, or still by your? I'm still a solo practitioner, and yeah. I'm not sure when when and if I'll ever have an associate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it just depends on. Uh, Depends on the way things go. Sure. Uh, I don't really have any room to grow, but right. Are I don't you kind of at build anything? Are you else, at so. capacity? Would you say, or like, you're yeah. you're kind of maxed out at yeah, this my, point? My practice is actually, um, it's I'm I'm overly full right now. Really. So we're in the process of trying to figure out ways to work smarter, not harder. Sure. And try to dial back a little bit, mm -hmm. not see as many patients a day, but do that in a more, you know, I don't want to say a profit-minded. Way. Efficiency to, minded, call it. We want yeah. to be smarter about how we're producing at the office. Yeah. Versus so, just slamming people through there. Sure, sure. Do you um, do you see like what's the practice makeup? I guess is it a lot of Medicaid? Is it working class? Like what's your like patient? I'd say we're about thirty-five to forty percent Medicaid. Yep. And then another thirty-five to forty percent of private pay. Okay. So and then, then a few self-pay. So pretty that, nice so. blend. Okay. Um. So then, uh, what uh, are you like? Uh, like one operative column and how many hygiene patients and how many totalish patients are you seeing a day? So I see roughly on, about on average 40 to 45 a day at my office. Yep. And we run two op columns, so I'll have one op every hour. Staggered ops, yeah. Uh, staggered ops. I've got two EFTAs at my office to help. Nice. Um, so I can bounce and then we've got one column we use primarily for emergencies, sealants, SDF, and then we run three columns of uh, assisted hygiene. hygiene. As well, yeah, so. very good. So um, tell me like, three pieces of technology or three techniques or three things that like you've started using in your practice that like changed the way you practice that you like couldn't live without? I will say the number one thing that I've used in my office in the last five years that's changed the way I work is silver diamond fluoride. A lot of SDF uh, use? Lots of SDF, yeah. lots of smart treatment with GI. Yeah. Um, hall crowns occasionally sure. when the indication's right. Tell me about um, how you do the smart technique, like in your hands, like like your application, how you use it, like tell me more about that part. So I learned a lot of what I, what I know from Jeanette, Jeanette yep. McLean yep. Bud yep. and a lot of what she's taught, but uh, primarily I like to get the kids in if they've got, you know, say a class two area of decay, um, it's not even in, not even halfway into the enamel. Yep. I'm just treating SDF only, two applications. Are you flossing it in there weeks. or are you just kind of like scrubbing, scrubbing the um, interproximal I do area? the I do the super floss method super still. Super floss, yep. I like that a lot. Yep. 
Um, but yeah, like on a class one, say for instance, I will just scrub it in with a brush. I'll do one application, have the patient come back two or three weeks later. Sorry about that. No, you're good. Uh, <laughs> two or three weeks later, and I'll just um, I'll check the area. If we need to reapply at that point, we will. Mm -hmm. If not, just a little nitrous with the kid a lot of times just to boost that threshold. Yep. Just tap in, open it up with a round burr, no local anesthesia, and use uh, some form of glass onomer. What are I you use, using for your glass onomer? I use uh, Keytac Nano a lot. Nano. Yep. Uh, unless I have to put STF down again before I fill. Okay. If I do that, then I use uh, Fuji Equia Forte because it's self cure. Yeah. You and like so, that? I've been on. You know, I've been on this big Equia kick, but you, you've had good re results. Uh, with Equia is a very good material. Yeah, it's I've very cool. Been very pleased with it. Yeah, good. You would say like you're seeing pretty good like fairly good long-term follow-up of like, and long-term is like relative term, but like success rates with the smart technique have been pretty pretty good in your hands? Yes, for the most part, I'd say a lot of times, especially with class ones, yeah, um, I get really good results out of those. Class twos, it's hard to hard to predict. For sure, sometimes um, it works, sometimes they get away from you. It's just, yeah. Diet hygiene and other yeah. things. Yeah. If they're not being compliant at home, then it's um, just, yeah. I mean, I'll, what I'll see a lot of times when I look at the x-ray is I won't see a change in depth of the lesion, but I'll see a change in the height of the lesion. Oh, sure. So that at least lets me know that the area I treated may be stable, but it's decaying around it. Oh, yeah. And then it will funnel underneath around. it and go to the go to the pole. Sure, so. makes sense. Makes sense. So um, any other? So that was like one main one is like good SDF use. Any other um, material or technique or um, you know that that's changed the way you practice? That was a good answer, but I'm just curious. Any other like? Um, you know, I'm I'm starting to dabble a little bit in the zirconia world now. Oh, yeah? Okay. Um, I, I was trained on resin strip crowns. So you do so a fair amount. My, my comfort level is definitely there mm -hmm. with strip crowns, zirconias. I'm starting to implement a little bit of anterior zirconia in my office on select cases in the OR. Mm -hmm. Just trying it out and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, so tell me, um, maybe like a mistake. Is there any, any um, either like a recent case or you could even be like a practice management thing, but any like mistakes you've made in your practice that were like, man, I really F that one up or whatever. And then, you know, like lessons learned. It could be like a clinical thing that you did for a while and now you're like, avoid that at all costs, or like a practice thing that you made a big mistake with your practice. But any mistakes, like big mistakes in your practice that you? I'd say from a materials perspective, the biggest mistake I, I can think of off the top of my head is I did two cases in the OR the same day, but I did, I tried to do um, Equiforte strip crowns mm -hmm. in the OR instead of composite strip crowns. And it was my first time really doing them. And I didn't let my formers, uh, I didn't let the material set inside the formers for an extended period of time before I took the formers off. Yep. And so when I cut the formers off, um, it actually created some little micro fractures oh, really? in the glass onomer. And about a week later, I had parents call me and their kids were getting these little brown stained lines oh. wicking through the entire restoration. Wow. So they look like a, sp a brown spider web going off inside, oh, interesting. Of, the, wow. inside of the glass ionomer. And, and you so, used the coat, did you use the, um, the top coat over the? We did do the coat afterwards, but wow. it, either even with that, those little micro fractures okay. still happened. And uh, so eventually a couple of those fractured and I had to just take off the existing crown in the office and just replace it with composite. With composite, yeah. Um, and it, they worked, I mean, fortunately it worked out fine. Okay, so but lesson learned, make sure you give that strip crown with Equia plenty of time to set up before absolutely. you slide it off, yeah. Um, any, um, you know, I'm gonna ask you, cause you, I, I like that you've been doing in this practice for almost 10 years now, which is pretty cool, but uh, like from a clinical standpoint then, any, um, you know, mistakes you've made or like like things you wish you would have done earlier, like staffing wise or um, wish you would have outsourced this type of thing sooner? Any any like practice mistakes that like, you know, that you kind of made that you've sort of remedied? I, my biggest mistake I feel like I made is I, I didn't give myself enough space to work mm -hmm. long term. Mm -hmm. 
and I didn't invest in real estate early. So, like, I don't own my building. I'm renting. Mm -hmm. So I don't have the ownership value of the practice. Yeah. Let's have the ownership of the contents inside of it. Right. And obviously the patients. So when it comes time to sell the practice, practice value mm -hmm. um, won't be as much as it would have been if I bought. But now with the real estate market skyrocketing, as we talked about last yeah, night, right. um, it's, it's going to be just an exorbitant amount of money if I decide to buy a piece of land and build something now. Right. And it's just not worth it. I've been blessed that my wife and I have been very, very diligent paying off debt. Sure. And so I was I, I was able to pay my practice loan off mm -hmm. in uh, April of last year. Mm -hmm. uh, Dude, so that that's, feels good. Nice. That's off the plate. That frees up a lot of cash flow. That's cool. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Student loans are off the table now as well. Nice, this is man. fantastic. So it's got a mortgage payment. Sure. Dude, it's, um, but it's it's hard though because I, I mean, I, I can only speak on this because I just went through this, but you know, it, it, at face value, sure, it sounds great to own a building, but the reality is when you've got student loans and you're trying to buy a house and you've got to take out a practice loan, like it's it's hard to get that SBA loan and another 10% down to buy a building when you don't have anything. So, you know, the way my builder explained it to me, you got to get your golden hammer going first, you know, and so like I try not to get too down on myself that I wasn't able to jump in on the real estate side, but I know you guys like you and I, like, I mean, I feel like it's very common now to just lease your space and that you can still obviously be very successful and there's nothing really wrong with that. It's just a different way of going about it. So sometimes I tell myself, you know, the extra money that I would have been throwing at a commercial um, commercial real estate, buying a practice building, I have that money free now to do other investments. Like I want to buy a farm farm ground eventually or put extra money in stocks or whatever the case might be. But um, but ultimately, if you're a practice owner, at least like that's the first big step, I suppose. So um, I guess as we wrap up, any uh, parting advice to like a, um, you know, residents listening or maybe somebody that's, it's, it could be Tennessee specific, but like anybody uh, getting out of residency that's like going to be in Pete's here, you know, entering their career, like any advice for young Dennis might be listening? Um, I'd say for residents, you know, go out, find your opportunities, um, but really take time to study what you're going to be getting into. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like when I came out of school, I rushed into my first associateship. I had an opportunity mm -hmm. and it sounded great. But when I got there and I read the fine print on things, I realized that I was, uh, I'd say things weren't as, as good as they appeared. I see, yeah. And so uh, I got stuck in a situation for a little while and had to dig my way out of it. We can talk about that another time. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a lot. That hey, you know, that'd be so. another good podcast thing, like yeah. really dive in because that's a common theme is like associateships that go south and like how to avoid them. So that'd be a good discussion sometime. Another thing that I would really recommend too for practice owners, um, if you're looking at trying to pay off debt and pay off debt aggressively, mm -hmm. um, it's very important to our business. Um, we put aside at least 90 days worth of cash that's always on hand in our practice. So if I were to get injured, um, we've got reserve money available to help continue to pay our team and make sure that we retain our team. So in the event I'm out, say I'm out for a month and a half or two months, yeah. I can keep them on payroll the whole time, take care of them, and it'll work out really well in the long That's run. That's turned out well. Yeah. Did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny. You and I are along the same lines. I think more people think that way post-COVID. When you know what Warren Buffett says, when the tide goes out, you can see who's been skinny dipping, and a lot of a lot of dentists weren't like saving that rainy day fund, and it kind of yeah. showed when everybody's like you know, clawing and fighting for this PPP money. It showed like people weren't prepared to have, you know, rainy I, I day didn't, fund, you know? Uh, I took a PPP loan out during the mm -hmm. pandemic, but I was able to pay my team through the whole thing. I didn't furlough That's anybody. That's good for you, man. That's great. Um, took care of my team. And so they all just came running back, ready to work. That's when fantastic. I told them it's time to go, they're like, let's do it. Let's go. Yeah. And so cool. that really helped. So yeah. I know a lot of people that 
weren't in that situation that had to furlough people. And when they did furlough, um, a lot of people didn't want to come back to work. Yeah. They were drawing unemployment, making more money. So for sure. Yeah. So. Well, hey, thanks for uh, hopping on and doing this. And maybe we'll uh, we'll line up a power or a uh, podcast and talk more about like some of this associateship topics that we hit on because that'd be a popular one. So, all right, man. thanks, man. Appreciate it. No problem. All right, and we're rocking. So, okay, for the listeners that tell me who you are and where you're from. Okay, my name is Dr. Sarah Werb. I'm from Toronto, Canada. Very cool. Are you like Canadian native, like born and raised up that born way? Born and raised. Nice. So, I mean, I'm gonna probably ask questions that maybe aren't as relevant in Canada because I know very little about the differences. I guess. So did you do, um, you did all your training up in like Canada or Toronto or where'd you train at? No, so I did my dental school in Toronto Uh and then I went to the States to do my pediatric training. A lot of pediatric dentists end up going to the States because there's only right now four programs in Canada that train pediatric dentists and there's um, so much more opportunities. Sure, uh, where'd you train at in the States? Jacoby Medical Center. In New York, right? In the Bronx, New York. In the Bronx, New York. How was that? It was amazing. I was the first class there. Were you really? Yeah. Yeah? You get so like it, a lot of good experience, a lot of reps, all that good stuff? A lot of good experience, yeah. a lot of like ability. We kind of got to like design our own program. Oh, that's fun. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like that first model of car where it's like there could be some bugs, but we're going to figure it out and like it ends up working out exactly. fine. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So then you went back to Toronto, Canada right away afterwards? Yes. So tell me about your practice, like life since residency. Are you an associate? Have you bought in? What, like, have you been at a few offices? What's that look like? So, yeah. So, so I actually started my own practice directly out of residency. All right, here we go. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Nice. Yeah. Okay, so tell, like, tell me about it. So my dad was a physician and he was working in a medical building where there was a general dentist that was moving offices mm-hmm. and needed um, and needed someone to sublease his old space while he moved into the new space. So he asked me if I wanted to take it over and nice. buy the equipment at a discount. So I thought it was a great opportunity. So I figured I'd try it. So I did that for um, 15 years, and then a year ago I sold to a DSO. Oh, okay. We're gonna talk more about this. So you've gone, you started a practice, grew it 15 years, and, and sold, sold to a DSO. DSO. And, yeah. Wow. And are you working back right now then at that office? So yeah. So I sold to the DSO because the building where I bought the practice in was coming, like where I started my own practice, is coming was being torn down. So I had to move anyways. Oh sure. So I sold to the DSO, and they moved me to um, their first specialty. It was, a gen- it was a general dentist DSO, and they bought a pediatric practice, and it's their first for- foray into specialty. And they moved me into that practice, and that dentist is retiring in two weeks, and so now I am the pediatric dentist, and I also am starting up their pediatric program across Canada. Nice, okay, so, man, what kind of questions could I, so like, tell me a little bit about your practice before you sold it. Like, how many patients were you seeing a day? Like, were you a solo practitioner? Like, what kind of patients were you seeing? Bread and butter, just tell me about the practice. I just want to learn a little bit more about it. Yeah, no problem. So, um, solo practitioner, um, there is a misnomer in the U.S. that dentistry is fully covered in Canada because we have universal health care. The government doesn't think teeth belong in healthcare, so it's not covered. Okay. So, um, but there are like Medicare programs for low income and children with disabilities, um, and that is um, a covered service, and that's depending on the province that you're in is how it's done. Um, Quebec does have a full coverage for kids up until 17. Mm -hmm. 
um, but they're the only one that does. Um, so my practice was primarily um, fee-for-service. Oh, okay. A lot of pediatric practices in Canada are fee-for-service, fee with a, um, a percentage of the practice being um, the government-funded program. Okay, so what would be equivalent to like our Medicaid? It was like you know, the, just the, the state, or not state, like federally funded sort of Yeah, well it, well, it would be a state, it actually is funded. So right now it is funded by the province or the province, state. Yep. Um, but there is some talk that there is gonna be, um, in 2024, a universal um, funded program, so a national program um, for dentistry. It's gonna start off with kids, with the kids, so 17 and under but it's going to be income based that's all we know mm, okay okay so let me let's go back to like you selling to the DSO like I'm just going to try to ask some hard questions here then yeah. so you know you practiced for all these years and built this little you know baby from this little thing and built it into a big practice like did you was selling it besides like moving buildings was part of this like I'm ready to be done, like I want to walk away, I want to take equity, were you just stressed out, were you just like could, could not find a buyer, like what were the factors or the reasons why you sold? Uh, the factors were two things, one is I had to move so I started looking at different options and number two, and mainly quality of life. I wanted, I didn't want to be doing payroll at 11 o'clock at night, Right, right. being the owner, I wanted that support and being able to to do things and also like even coming to these conferences and stuff like that when you're here at the conference and you're a solo practitioner you know you're worrying about like staff you've got to get keep things running and like deal with things there whereas I work with a network where like I walk away someone else is dealing with that um, someone else is dealing with the phone system someone else is dealing with the internet someone else is dealing with payroll and stuff like that the first day I worked in the DSO that we had a storm in Canada and our phone lines were down. As a solo practitioner, when you own your own practice, while seeing patients, you have to deal with getting right. that up Those and running. Issues, yep. I just showed up and did my job and that was the nicest thing yeah, ever. Very cool. So it, was the buyout process fairly smooth? Was there a lot of negotiating? And did you um, did you structure it like as in like um, you know you had like your initial lump sum plus like a work back period and then equity like I wanted to just learn more about how they structured the deal and how that went. So yeah, so it depends on the DSO and depends on what it is. Um, I had received a bunch of offers and this was the fourth one I entered in negotiations with. So I had walked away from three other ones for a few reasons. One is I didn't like you know the. Um, the billing requirements that would often come with it or and also the way it was structured so um, I, I ended up selling a hundred percent and then I got a percentage back as a gift oh okay yeah. interesting or, but are you are you own do you own any of the parent company then was that part of the package deal because I know some DSOs will structure that where that you know they're like you get like so many shares in our parent DSO company that you can cash out on later was that tied so into I your... can't talk about current negotiations oh that's still in the works okay no 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 I'll, 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 I'll respect that I but, get it. but invite me back and we'll, and we'll talk, talk more about, about it okay yeah. so then um, you know if one of the questions I've been asking is like um, I guess like advice for any dentists like initially it's been like young dentists getting out but maybe if there's older dentists that are listening or more established dentists that maybe are interested in working with the like going through the DSO sell-out type process do you have any like things you would have done differently or any advice to somebody going through that same thing 
the, my advice would be, um, I used, so, you know, some people say, like, don't use a lawyer, don't use a broker, things like that. In Canada, um, I used a lawyer that specializes in this exact thing, okay. dentists selling either to DSOs or to other dentists. Mm -hmm. That's basically what they do. And it, they are so knowledgeable about it and they know the entire process. Mm -hmm and they had my back through everything, and that to me made all the difference. Okay, so it's worth it investing in like a good either broker, or like somebody that's done yeah, this a few times. Yeah. yeah, someone that does it and is good, and just but just make sure you like research, talk to other people, mm -hmm. figure things out, and make sure you like network and ask other people who have done it what they liked and what they didn't like about the process. Sure, what's your uh, like, five-year goal, I guess, or what are you like looking forward to in the future since you are, you know, you, you are working back as an associate for this company? Like, um, do you have professional goals in the future or looking forward to more time off or what do you see yourself doing in the next five years? So professional goals, so that's the thing. We're actually building like our pediatric DSO in Canada. And so that's kind of where my goal is. And it's nice because I get to kind of do something. I still get to you know, do work with kids and do all the stuff that I love, mm -hmm. but I get to do an interesting side of the business. Okay, so you're not walking away from pediatric dentistry anytime soon? Not anytime yeah, soon. Yeah, we get to do some fun stuff. There's a lot of stressful practice things, as you know, but then like you have good days where like, you know, you can tell you make a difference and like we and have a pretty cool job and then it makes it worth it. Yeah, yeah. so it's very cool. Yeah. Well, Sarah, thanks for like coming on and telling me a little bit about your practice no and stuff. Yeah, I'll see you around. Okay, perfect. Thanks. All right. We're looking good. Okay, so tell me your name and where you're from. Yeah, so I, my name is Eric Vaughn, and I'm from Houston, Texas originally, and currently practicing in Nashville, Tennessee. In Nashville. Dude, you're like the second or third uh, Tennessee guy I've had on, but it's like the there's a lot of uh, active pediatric dentists in Tennessee, so that's cool. You said yeah. Nashville area? Yeah, Nashville area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you did um, you did residency at Nebraska. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. I think, did we finish the same year? I think we, we did, did, right? Yeah. We did, yeah, because yeah, we were always at the same like sedation conferences, like all like the yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. residence events, mm -hmm. and so yeah. So what have you, uh, what's uh, like professional life been like since residency, you know, like COVID hit and all that stuff, but have you, did you just go straight out to Nashville and start associating and stuff? Or like, what's your practice life look like since then? Yeah, yeah, so right after uh, residency, my girlfriend got into grad school out in Nashville area mm -hmm. at Lipscomb, so then I was able to get a job out there, and then so we both went, it's like a kind of like a package deal. Mm -hmm. Um, is she a dentist? Uh, no, no, no. She works with uh, kids with autism. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. so nice. yeah, you get some good behavior management tips from For her sure, and yeah. kind of see their perspective on a lot of things. Yep. Um, but yeah, so professional life, you know, was good. The first six months we started rocking and rolling, then COVID hit, mm -hmm. and you know, everyone kind of went through that whole two-month layoff process, right. got rehired, and um, you know, 2020 was like pretty slow as you know, kind of figured things out. You know, all the PPE and all mm -hmm. that stuff and. Uh, but things have been well, you know. Um, you know, I ended up in a group practice. You know, there's an ortho within the practice, a lot of senior dentists too. So professionally, mm -hmm. it was pretty good. How uh, many pediatric dentists are in that group? Gosh, let's see here. There is one, about five pediatric dentists oh, wow. and one orthodontist. How many yeah. out of how many offices? Uh, two. Two offices. Two, yeah. Yeah. We have uh, the main one usually houses three pediatric dentists and the ortho. And then we have a satellite office about an hour away, and that's mm -hmm. one, uh, we have uh, an associate there that she kind of runs a whole office by herself mm -hmm. and everything, because she lives in a smaller, uh, another community away, mm -hmm. and so she kind of runs that. And um, But yeah, so it's a pretty pretty wide patient base, pretty large group. Nice. Um, but uh, it was really good as an associate coming out professionally, because, you know, I, I was sitting, I shared the office with like a, you know, board certified pediatric dentist who's on the board committee and mm -hmm. things like that. So we were able to pick his brain 
um, and ask about treatment plans, learning sedation, um, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of treating all kinds of things that you can just comes up throughout the day. Sure, um, so, sure. Yeah, so plenty good. of mentorship opportunities. Yeah. yeah. Um, so are you uh, are you associating still, or are you are you like is the associate life? a good fit for you or you have plans to maybe like get some equity in the group at this bigger group practice eventually or what's the long-term plan i guess at this practice yeah yeah i think yeah long-term plan is you know it's been uh, been great as an associate been mm -hmm. great to learn and kind of figure things out you know um i think there is some potential for some equity potential. stake there nice. you know um, yeah. i think the trickiest thing is always when like our millennial group right you're always kind of like well okay where am i where's my career gonna take me sure. where my girlfriend's gonna end up can she come back and get a job in mm. the national area after she finishes up mm -hmm. um she got into a phd program um, you know that she starts this summer mm -hmm. uh, out in Omaha so she we're gonna be like going back and forth for the next few years okay um, but uh, no but I think yeah long-term potential there for sure and you know I think uh, office has been great yeah and, you, know, and you, you like get, living in the Nashville area yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, you, you know, know I, I made a joke to uh, yeah. Jen and my wife I've only been there once or twice um, but I really I like the scene but um, this is really random but I, yeah. I, I'm not as close of a follower but I've always kind of liked some of the principles that Dave Ramsey has he's like the big yeah. financial he's got yeah. this humongous building out there like I've always yeah. wanted to go swing by that studio and like spend a little more time hanging out in Nashville oh, yeah. but everybody that's like from Nashville says it's like a really cool place to like live and grow up and yeah, everything else yeah it is yeah. it is and um, a lot of transplants or you meet new people you know mm. like the apartment complex we're in is like you're playing 50 states with the cars yeah yeah you yeah. know yeah. Um, and then you know there's also you know if you know you can spot celebrities you know like you see you'll be at a restaurant oh look there's like you know that Titans player Tim, like, Tim McGraw's just hanging Tim out McGraw, or something yeah, yeah yeah that's cool you know cool. and like uh, you know um, you know, Dr. Kate, you know, the one I used to work with, she went and got tacos and saw Sean Johnson, the Olympic gymnast, wow, you yeah, know, yeah. there, you know, so it's like, it's, so it's kind of cool when you run into cool. that. Yeah. Um, so, so tell me, um, you know, uh, one of the questions I've been asking um, yeah. some people at the conference, you know, now that you've been practicing kind of like myself for a while, um, what kind of things have you started doing now that you didn't have in residency? Like uh, any new pieces of technology or like techniques or materials or like things that you can't practice without now that you have picked up since getting out of residency? Yeah, gosh, you know, technology-wise, you know, a lot of the same, a lot of the same stuff. You know, like mm -hmm. in residency, we did de novo bands for our class twos. Uh, I've used a lot more cool. MTA, like mm -hmm. Neo Putty. You know, in residency, we did a lot of Formo and things mm -hmm. like that. Uh, so I've done more of that. I think part of the biggest, you know, growth was from that mentorship and just getting really better at treatment planning and right. painting things. And um, you know, we did, you know, you know, the minimum amount of sedations in residency and being here, you know, just the amount of oral sedations we do on a daily basis. You do a fair amount of oral sedations, yeah. yeah. We yeah. do a fair What amount. kind of oral sedations are you guys doing? Yeah, we do that uh, kind of chlorohydrate triple cocktail. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. yeah. I've heard, you know, I have not done one of those. Like our residency program didn't have a lot of access to chlorohydrate. It was yeah. a lot of like Versed, hydroxyzine combos. But uh, the people that do the chlorohydrate, it sounds like it's like pretty darn effective. Yeah. Yeah. It, re it really is. And um, you know, we did in residency, and I knew I didn't want to go and do like only my Dazlam or Versed only because right. you, you just got I just got used to it, and I knew what I was getting myself into with the meds, mm -hmm. and I knew all the side effects, and so the office did the same. So it was kind of a smooth transition, mm -hmm. you know. And so being, but having that mentorship, and they're like, okay, this is a sedation case, this is not a sedation case, and mm -hmm. this is how you ought to treat and plan for that sedation case, and things like that. How and many are you doing? Are you doing like every morning? You do a couple of them or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah every morning, and you know they vary. Like you know, we'll do like a lot of there's times where we do like five but there'll be like really short ones like you know sedation for an MOD one tooth extraction yeah, or something like that, like that. Yeah, and, yeah. and if we have some heavier ones and it's like maybe three like you know like whole right side all fillings or like mm -hmm. you know four crowns and things yeah. like that um, but it's definitely helped keep a lot of kids out of the OR for us too like sure. you know, especially in private pay families where it's like you know say they have like eight interproximals 
you know, two sedation appointments, left, right, right. And, you know, they're done. And knock know? it out, yeah. Knock it out. What would you say your success rate on kids like doing relatively well is with your trip with the chlorhydrate triple triple cocktail? Yeah. Like what? like you know, seventy five because you know like with the yeah. Versed it seems like you get a lot, you know, fifty fifty chance that they lose their mind and yeah. you know, but but what's your success rate, would you guess? You yeah, know? I would say probably like ninety. Is it pretty good? Yeah, pretty nice, good, yeah. Man. Ninety nice. That's great. like four Four and up, we probably get we can get it to probably ninety, and then four and below, like you know, like maybe like three and a half, three, like the Starts younger ones, maybe like 60, 70. Drops off a little bit. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. usually the three-year-old sedations, I preface it with the parents. It was like, you know, we we don't know what we're walking into just yet. They mm. may take it well, they may not. Right. Um, but usually the older they are, they'll they'll do better. Like that sweet spot's at that definitely five to nine. Like it'll, it'll pretty much pretty work. Effective. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. And then is there? Do you do anything else fancy with those sedations? Like, um, I mean, you're not papoosing or anything. You just triple cocktail little nitrous nose and turn a movie on and you're off to the races yeah. basically off to the races yeah. yeah and then we'll do like a little blanket you know kind of keep their arms tucked in sure. stuff like that um so yeah so no no poo-poos thankfully and nice. um uh, so yeah that's most cool of that it works yeah, well man it yeah well. it's nice talking to um an office that does you know it's getting progressively like fewer offices doing yeah. an office sedation um like oral conscious sedation and it's, yeah. it's nice when i talk to some offices that it works well like that it's still alive and working well for some people yeah, yeah absolutely um yeah. any um you know, I guess mistakes that you've made recently in terms of uh, like maybe clinical things or materials that were you were using that didn't turn out as well as you had hoped yeah. or like recent. Um, I know this is always kind of a hard one for people to think of on the spot, but I'm just trying to see if I can pry out of you some sort of like yeah. pearl and something that hasn't gone well and you've like stopped doing it or any mistakes you've made that yeah. you would have advice on. Yeah. Anything come to mind? Yeah. Uh, gosh, I would say, you know, early on, always the class two preps. Yeah. You know, I think when I graduated, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, conservative preps, got the filling in. And then I started getting some of those six month, you know, after a year, all of them started coming back because I wanted to do for the first round of x-rays yep. since that appointment. You know, a lot of shallow preps, you know, and, they, you know, they're coming back fractured and mm -hmm. dislodged right at that margin. So, you know, I switched it to like, you know, just wider preps. I made sure the first, you know, like my size one or size zero condenser fits through mm -hmm. the whole prep, you know, um, and then, so that, that was a game changer. So those have gone way more consistent. Nice. Um, so I, I would say, uh, you know, that first, ra first, after your first year, all those x-rays come back, it's pretty humbling. For then, sure, yeah, for sure. You see yeah. your, your pulps and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, but I would say those class twos on the clinical side, um, and then treatment plan side too, just knowing like, um, learning like how to like, how to plan it, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, or like, you know, I would be like, oh, this could be done with sedation. You would you structure it like this and you get to the sedation. Gosh, man, this is just way too much work to do. I got to break this up and mm -hmm. things like that or smaller segments or this should have just been a GA case when to begin with. Right. Dial um, in your treatment planning skills yeah. a little bit. Yeah, dude, the class two is a great answer. Like, um, I feel like w I did a whole podcast on this with um, with another guy, but like there's so much that goes into like really the minutia of a class two prep that yeah. can dramatically affect the outcomes. But like, to your point, you know, you see so many preps come back up, you know, on both ourselves yeah. and like other colleagues where you don't drop that box deep enough or really yeah. break the contact or there's still like incipiencies like yeah. on the floor. So it's like, you just, it's like people tend to be like really too conservative on those preps, but yeah. then it ends up biting you. Like, it's okay. Like for like, I'll admit one yeah. of my things that I was messing up, like, never maybe too shallow but on my little dovetail like you know oh, the occlusal yeah, dovetail yeah. a lot of times i wasn't getting that real deep and it'd be shallow yeah um you know like uh, it was enough so that like kids would bite and like chip that little dovetail out yeah. and um and then like i get recurrent decay starting yeah. it there yeah. so now i really like i always put like a two yeah. round in and really get like a good retentive undercut yeah. like there to give it plenty Absolutely. of bulk so yeah just like little minutiae of yeah. class two for sure goes a long ways oh for sure yeah. um, um any um 
I guess any advice for now that you've been out a few years and you've kind of got yeah. some like clinical stuff under you, but any any advice for like young dentist residents coming out like about you know say you know this new yeah. graduating class is going to yeah. start working here next month any like advice for for the new residents coming out yeah yeah absolutely I, I would say you know there's one for the clinical side and one for like the kind of like um, management side mm -hmm. you know clinical side you know like you know uh, if you have a good mentor a good you know owner um, they can ask questions from for, you know ask questions early on like I told myself I'd rather make mistakes the first year mm -hmm. and like learn from it than rather go you know, to year two or year three and say oh I should be doing my class twos like this or maybe I should have been doing this these last three years mm -hmm. <laughs> to learn it now so I would say ask questions early on figure out the flow figure out what you like you know give yourself that freedom because I know a lot of times you Put yourself on a lot of pressure. It's like I need to do great. Like I'm a pediatric dentist. Like da 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 da. And mm -hmm. like you know, I need to just perform well and just give, be forgiving in that first year. Be like, hey, like you know, like like crowned and fit. How can I get better? Yeah. Um, how can I improve? Um, on, on that side, mm -hmm. um, and maybe just like a humble attitude. Yeah, like humble you said. attitude. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, like, yeah, I've run into a couple pediatric dentists. I feel like already yeah. in the conference where it's just like already my way or the highway type attitudes. But it's like. You know, you talk to guys that still do this game like we're doing 15 years later and they're still changing the way they do things, yeah. you know, for sure. Yeah. And yeah. that, um, you know, and I, I would say that and just being flexible, you know, a lot of times you come out of residency, you get used to, oh, yeah, we're going to do eight crowns and we're going to do GA. Mm -hmm. Your kid's high risk, you know, mm -hmm. and then, you know, some of these parents that come in, parent, private pay, they may be like, um, that's not what I'm thinking, right. you know, and like I, you know, like I, can we get away with fillings? Can mm -hmm. we not do GA and things like that? So I think you know, just being flexible, but also not not being a pushover, but also not being pushy yourself. So being okay, let's have a dialogue and you know, like and learning how to like like I think the best advice someone said was like you know, Eric, put together a game plan and then present that game plan. And if they don't like it, then be flexible there. But if you give them a lot of options too early on, it overwhelms them. You know, mm -hmm. kind of like, oh, we're gonna do, you can do sure. SCF, you can do uh, sedation, we can do GA. Like a lot of the parents, they come in, they're like, you know, we look for you for an answer, but you're right. giving all these options. I don't know what the outcomes of these ones are. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so kind of have to steer them in the direction that yeah, you think is gonna be the best option, yeah. right? Yeah, you know, so it's sure. kind of like a nice guided conversation. So I'd say that when mm -hmm. dealing with parents, um, and then just, yeah, learning, asking questions, learning, you know, trying to find ways improving, even taking post-op x-rays if you have doubts, you know, mm -hmm. like that can be a really good, good learning curve early on too. We had um, one of the other associates, he took, when he started, he took some post-op x-rays, you know, uh, afterwards and he said, okay, like I should not do that after this on that class too. So his, his growth and, you know, fixing his mistakes early on was like kind of nipped early too, because he was like, okay, I, can, I will stop doing that after mm -hmm. today. Yeah. Dude, you know? that's a fantastic piece of advice. Take post-op x-rays those first six months, because yeah, I mean, I, I've almost started doing more of that now than when yeah. I first opened a year and a half ago, like, especially on like big, big composites and stuff yeah. just to make, you know, are you getting bubbles? Yeah. Are you getting voids? Are you, you know, what, what do your preps look like? So that's super sound advice. Yeah. 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 Well, hey, thanks for, um, yeah, thanks for yeah. bopping in and kind of giving me some feedback and, yeah. um, and I uh, hope you have a good rest of the conference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for having sir. me, Casey. Yeah, yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Bruise and Tiny Teeth podcast. Be sure to DM our host, Casey Getz, on social media with any listener questions, comments, or tough clinical situations. We'll see you next week for another unfiltered episode.